Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor, or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Well, hello and welcome everyone for the last spotty week of the year. As you know, it's our second episode uh, of our final run and it is Australia's hour of investing power and a big hello and welcome to all of you watching all over the world now as part of the News Player Network. For those tuning in for the very first time, this is the show that quite simply is as great as you want it to be. Uh, we stream to you live from Richmond, which is about six kilometres east of the Melbourne CBD. And for the next 60 crazy minutes, we're going to answer your questions about shares live on air. So send them through right now. You can text us, uh, text machine, Dexter's waiting to take your message, 0480-079-089. Of course, if you're doing it from overseas, uh, like you occasionally do, Phil, 61 is what you need to put in front of that. Uh, you can uh, email us also, question at spotty.com.au. That's question without the S at spotty.com.au. You will, of course, see these details appear at the bottom of the screen throughout the show, so there's no need to memorize them. Uh, but of course, if you do put it into your smartphone, it makes it much easier when it comes time to ask us that question. Well, let's get straight into it, starting with a recent recruit to the Spotty team. It's Stuart Roberts from Stocks Down Under. G'day, Stuart, how are you doing? Now, Stuart, uh, yeah, got you later. Yeah, got you now. Now, Stuart, just uh, for those that may be tuning in for the very first time and don't know a, a bit about your business, and, and you know you are a recent addition to our family, so let's hear, let's hear the uh, back of the envelope pitch because uh, it's a great little company, and I really like the format, particularly how you uh, send out your little ideas to everyone. Thank you, Elia. The uh, reason that Mark Kennis and I started Stocks Down Under at the start of this year was we wanted investors to be able to have roughly four days a week. Uh, three good ideas in every edition, uh, written in plain English in a way where the, the copy was actually engaging. So a typical Stocks Down article, uh, Under article is about five minutes, and it'll introduce you to a company you may or may not have heard of before. But I guarantee if you stick around with us for long enough, you're going to hear about companies you've never heard of. Our aim is to have over a thousand companies under coverage over the next few years. Uh, I've learned that a heck of a lot about a company that I've never heard of before. For instance, uh, Jervois Mining, ever heard of that one? Um, they've got this wonderful cobalt play in Idaho, for example. All these kind of companies you can read about in, uh, in Stocks Down Under. If you visit stocksdownunder.com, you'll see we break it up. Um, stocks Down Under at the start of the week, uh, then uh, emerging Stocks Down Under on Tuesdays, there's also the Stocks Down Under and small cap stocks uh, on Fridays. So there's something in there for everyone. Check out uh, uh, stocksdownunder.com. Uh, and we think we're the best investment publication in Australia right now. As uh, voted by internal poll. Good work there, uh, Stuart. <laughs> but yeah, uh, stocksdownunder.com is where you can go to learn more about uh, the great business that uh, Stuart's created. And of course, you'll get an insight into that research today. 
Well, next is a true believer, the man who made this all possible. Look, I may have donated my time, but this man, well, he committed the dosh. And we're try- and he saw basically what we were trying to achieve, and that was to create a truly inclusive forum for stock discussion and, and investing ideas. It's Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems. Gary, thanks for joining us in this last week of Spotty for 2020. It's a pleasure. Always good to be in here, Edio. Now, of course, yeah. we I, I don't want to go down the path, the path of saying what a crazy year 2020 was, because, of course, you've been in business for over 25 years. And yeah. let's face it, while the actors change, the plot remains the same. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the business you did create and how you've helped investors for that whole time? Yeah, well, I'll start with an outcome first, right? What we started the business to do was to help investors beat the market and beat mm-hmm. alternative uh, avenues for investing, the yeah. managed funds, et cetera, et cetera, robo-advisors, you name it. And uh, so the outcome is this year, our, port- our real money publicly run portfolios are running both in the US and here at about 25% mm-hmm. up compared to the market being about 3 or 4% up and the rest being around about break even, right? And we use price action to do that. And that means that uh, our customers, uh, our members don't read reports, they read price action, the signals that we come out, mechanical, rules-based, highly, deeply, rigorously researched signals. And with that, we come up with an edge, a statistical edge, and we execute the statistical edge. So we get out when the signals say get out, and we get in when the signals say get in. And we'll talk a bit more about that later. So it's a very efficient way of investing in the market, very time effective, and also um, outcome effective as well. And there you go, folks, as is the normal format, one tech guy and one fundamental analyst guy ready to answer your questions. So send them through right now. Before we get started, though, an important message, a timely reminder that all the information in today's show is, a general nature, is of a general nature only. It doesn't take into account your financial objectives, situations or needs, and therefore, should you decide to act on any of it, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. <clears throat> Past performance is no indicator of future performance, unfortunately, even though most of our portfolios have done quite well. Um, And uh, just a reminder that if you do wish to discuss uh, any of this content with anyone other than your significant other in life, then you need to do so with an advisor that's licensed to have that conversation. Um, Also do remember too that our guests try to recall, including myself, whether we hold an interest in a particular stock that we are discussing, but in the heat and battle of Uh, stock discussion. Sometimes we do forget. So feel free to contact us uh, directly if you do wish to see clarification as to whether we hold an interest in any business. And for the next hour, Spotty is proud to be powered by not just Gary, but also Sharewell Systems, the great team he built there. Since 1995, Sharewell Systems have helped investors protect and grow their share portfolio using a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. So if you wish to learn more about the team powering our spotlight and how you too can be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, then please visit the website sharewealthsystems.com and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any investment decision. Okay then, so let's go uh, to the market. Uh, currently uh, sitting uh, at where we are now and unfortunately, of course, my system decides to uh, have a bit of a breather. Uh, so is the market actually by the look of it. The all ordinary is down 0.28%, the XJO down 0.18%. So it looks like it's uh, the uh, small guys getting a, a little bit of a hit today. Let's just call it profit taking because everyone likes a narrative and we all do that in the media space. Stuart, topic of the day. Interesting business in a space that I know you know very, very well. And I uh, really wanted to touch on this because so many people read the headline and they see this business and the business I'm talking about is Mesoblast. The code is MSB for everyone playing at home. Um, but they don't really understand the reality and what can likely occur when they're investing in businesses like this. So the topic of the day that we would love for you to help us see uh, see some light on 
is, you know, what do investors need to understand when they're investing in someone like a Mesoblast, particularly when they had their announcement today that uh, they put a positive spin on, but I think the market disagreed with it. Yes. So um, I first started uh, covering uh, life science in about 2002. And one of the things that I've noticed has been happening in the last uh, probably 10 years or so, every now and then a, a, a trial looks like it's a failure. Whereas in reality, it's just what you measure that's important. So here, the, uh, the so-called primary endpoint of the clinical study was, uh, could it actually reduce heart failure? Well, I'll take you back in time. Mesoblast is a stem cell company. Um, stem cells are a, a, a cells in the body that can power a strong anti-inflammatory response and also help to rebuild uh, uh, damaged uh, tissue in this repair. Mm. Uh, so they're very powerful things. Your doctor and the, and the news are going to tell you a lot about stem cells in the next 20 years because they represent uh, a step change in the way a lot of diseases are going to be treated. And mesoblast is a world leader. It started with nothing back in 2001. It's now a multi billion dollar company and, and, um, uh, and tested to do some great things. Now, a couple of their products made it all the way to phase three. Uh, one of them is a product we saw this morning called Rebastor, which was tried out in heart Now, the FDA set in the endpoint. Reduced heart failure event in the uh, in the uh, patient treatment. Yeah, now but just quick, yeah. Sorry, sure. I just wanted to say that because I mean they had like I think it was uh, they said it improved about sixty percent or whatever the case may be, which is still a marked improvement on what the the a previous endpoint, which is you know not not too great. Yet the uh, price was sold off. So just explain to people because you, you're right in regards to life sciences, uh, you know, and the nature, and that it's sometimes not good, but it's it's not bad, but it's good, but the market sees it the other way. Just yeah, take us through that specifically. And, and the other thing too, Stuart, if you wouldn't mind closing a few of your web browsers down, just so we get that internet traffic nice and clear with regards to your audio coming through as well. Certainly, I'm just closing those as we speak. Okay, Brilliant. so um, uh, what's to like about, uh, oh, sorry, let me let me answer your question. The, in, um, uh, in this game, you have to have what's called a primary endpoint. So uh, there's a certain measurement you have to hit uh, or the trials considered by the experts to be a failure. Now here, it was how many heart failure events can you reduce the, the treated patient's life? Well, that didn't go down. But at the same time, the FDA lets you uh, collect a whole lot of, uh, and, and other agencies, by the way, collect secondary endpoints, other things that may or may not indicate that the product is working. Now here, there was a whole bunch of secondary endpoints in the world. Less patients died, uh, less patients were, were hospitalized with other, with other stuff. Yeah, so yeah. This Right on balance is beneficial. It's just not as beneficial at the primary end as people were saying. Um, now, the, the, the reason why the stock is down but not down markedly is the market's now getting used to this. There's been a number of clinical trials that, where the, 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 the drug worked on a secondary endpoint. Mm. So the assumption is you'll have to go back, you'll have to run another study, and this time the stuff where it worked will become the primary endpoint because we know exactly how the drug works. A lot of drugs, we don't know how they work. I'll give you a good example of that. We've had aspirin since the 19th century. Um, but they gave the Nobel Prize for Medicine to Sir John Bain in 1982 for figuring out how aspirin worked. And we only did that in the 1970s. So we've been using, we used that drug for about seven years and no one knew how it worked. Same deal with Mesoblast as MPL as well. Yeah. No, very true. And look, Gary, I think if I go to you in regards to the price action, because you know, it's not you, normally when we talk about life sciences, we, we you know, inevitably a lot of people throw it away as rats and mice, small guys, etc. But mesoblast got quite a bit of size 
behind it. Mm-hmm. It's got quite a bit of liquidity behind it, yet its share price just acts as volatile as all the other mm-hmm. life sciences mm-hmm. guys. So we'll be very interested for your guidance here in regards to this, particularly what's been occurring in recent times where the price has been up and down like a yo-yo. Mm-hmm. How do you educate investors when it comes to approaching this? Because really they do need to know the game they've got to play before they buy into something like this, don't they? Absolutely. Two words I'll mention, variables and characteristics. So the variables are market-wide characteristics specific to the stock. Mm. So there's some very quick things I can I can find out here about Mesa Blast. Firstly, it's, it's a volatile stock. So I've got a chart here. I've got a, a line, a, a limit line that I t- put up for all my stocks. Mm-hmm. And I can see that it has spent its whole life above the 5% volatility line. Mm. That means that on any day, on average, it's going to move up or down by 5%. Now that's a lot given where interest rates are now where it takes a whole year to yeah. get half a percent, right? Just to put that into perspective. So it's volatile. The other thing you quickly scan through is you can see there are a lot of gaps, right? So the most recent one was in September where it's been moving, it's been range bound between around about $3 and $5.50 for some time now. And it was also in that range going back to the mid 2000s. And in one day it moved from the top of the range to the bottom of the range, one day. And there are gaps all over the place in this. So it's a kind of stock that it's certainly not your buy and hold. Um, It's not making money. (laughs) Uh, I think if I check correctly, and it's, um, is that one of the other stocks? Yes, it's not making money. And it's, uh, so you're gonna have a volatile ride. So how would you trade this? It, it's, it's a range bound, it does trend, it does, it's not a strong trend, it's other characteristics yeah. to look for. How well does this stock trend? It's been caught in a range that was established from 2009 to 2012, from a 70 cents all the way up to $10, and it has mm. not broken out of that range yet, right? Yeah. So I'm looking for trends, and really what I'm doing all the time is these characteristics and variables, and, and the other thing I should mention is that the variables that Stuart was talking about is there's, there's literally millions of variables that are interacting in the market. At any given time, there's hundreds if not thousands on a particular stock anybody's looking at. So how do you know which variables have the, the, ta- have the, the power play at the moment and are causing the major movement in the stock? Any given day or any given week, it can be a different set of variables, and we don't know that, right? So this is where... Uh, you know, difficult to apply fundamentals, yeah, because not making money, et cetera, et cetera. It wouldn't make any of the rules. So we apply the technicals and uh, it's, it's, it's a tough stock to be in and trade. Certainly mm-hmm. not a buy and hold and you need to have your wits about you and be pretty good at trading and reading price action to trade the stock. So there might be better trends elsewhere. Yeah, so stock, stock down at the moment, 12.5% at the moment. But I do touch on Stuart's point. I think uh, that it, it could have potentially had been worse, but you know, that secondary endpoint means there's still some life in this. And that's why um, you're seeing a little bit of support. I may very well see a bit more support in the latter part of today. All right, then, uh, gentlemen, let's go to our questions. The first one comes from uh, Matt, and he wants to know um, in regards to our view with Eltium um, at the moment, both a fundamental and technical view. So, Stuart, I'll start with you. Um, Eltium had some news recently divesting its tasking business to focus on its Eltium 365. Now, Folks, the number 365 has become the new world's definition of the old E. Remember back in the days you'd put an E or an I in front of everything that was tech? Well, now it's 365. So, uh, Stuart, given I've provided that great insight there in regards to LTM and what its future direction is, uh, how about we answer Matt's question in regards to where this business is headed? Because, of course, it is one of the wax constituents um, and, uh, yeah, has been uh, trending pretty much sideways for some time. Yeah, this, this company has a good future um, uh, because uh, 365 means the cloud. Yeah. Uh, there's so much you can get done in the cloud 
uh, that you just couldn't do before the cloud became a, a thing. Um, I first encountered 365 with obviously Microsoft 365, when suddenly you didn't have to um, uh, rely on disks to do or, or, or some other um, uh, clunky mechanism to do your latest, uh, latest download. So Altium's big thing is printed circuit board design. Uh, who would have thought that you could do a lot of that stuff up in the cloud? Um, what interests me is uh, Altium have talked about a hard pivot to the cloud. So they've made a decision to move heavily into the cloud all of a sudden. Last time we saw a company doing a hard pivot to anything, was back when Microsoft was hard pivoting to the internet yeah, back in the, in the late. Yeah. Um, now, on the way through that, uh, you may end up seeing some business disruption. So old-fashioned uh, revenues dropping off. Um, if the, at the next result, you see the company coming slightly under um, uh, market estimates and it's not going down, buy it heavily. Because this company has the, uh, the niche in that whole PCB area. Uh, but uh, no competitor is going to take it away in, in, in time. No. They just want to meet, make it easy for their customers, and they've had, they've had to do something radical, or they're never going to lose. Yeah, no, and look, they, they, it's a competitive space, but they pitch themselves at the uh, more quicker turnaround, uh, let's just call it that, uh, a cheaper end, and they've done incredibly well, and they've been known for creating lofty targets, but uh, and they've been meeting them, which the market liked, and we saw that in that very strong trajectory that their price initially had. But as with a lot of these companies, once they grow up, Gary, they then you know become different beasts and. Altium is interesting when you look at its share price because it had that breakthrough. It almost looked like it broke through a range, which had been sideways for quite a few months. And then just as sure as it broke out and stayed there for a few days and weeks, it then came back down again and now is trending the wrong way. So what guidance could you provide, Matt, from a technical perspective on ALU? Well, first is range bound. That's the first yep. technical thing you mentioned. has been range bound now since, uh, what date is that? Uh, July of 2019. So coming up for 18 months. Uh, it's knocked its head on the on the top of the range around about $38 again and looks like it could go at least to the midpoint 34 so 36 at the moment and all may or maybe all the way to the bottom at 30. Mm. The other point point to make is that it's underperforming the the information technology index yep. um, and it has been for since the middle of last year so it's it's not in that space its peers are beating it um, so from a top-down research perspective or, or analysis perspective you'd say I'd rather go somewhere else. I'd be waiting for a clear breakout above uh, 38 or even $40 to really prove it. Wow. Stay above there for a couple of days before I get interested in this. Uh, otherwise, it could go to the bottom of the range, and range traders might want to play that, but that's a, it's a tough game, hard, a very time-consuming game to play that one. Yeah, no, and the IT sector, of course, getting the big leg up from the elephant in the room, which is, of course, Afterpay, and uh, everyone's had an opinion on that. Everyone probably got it wrong. Uh, actually, in an interesting segue to that, let's go to Tyro <laughs> Payments if we can, Stuart. Uh, TYR is their code for those of you playing along at home. Question comes from Peter. Peter, thank you uh, on behalf of all of us for your great questions, not just today, but uh, throughout the year. Um, he asks about Tyro payments. He noted with quite interest, I think there was uh, press today, both in the AFR and the Australian, in regards to a proposed three-way merger between BPay, FPOS, and, and uh, the new payments platform. Lots of big hitters uh, involved with this, including Coles and Woolworths, and we're also seeing the banks pretty keen to see this uh, alliance and agreement. Tyro's been exceptionally transparent in disclosing weekly transaction numbers, which continue to rise uh, in this uh, COVID-19 recovery that we've uh, seen uh, over the last few weeks, but a share price hasn't reflected that recovery. TYR, Stuart, is it a business you're familiar with and that you've covered for uh, readers of uh, Stocks Down Under? Uh, ab absolutely, and um, what's the um, opportunity here? Um, 
all sorts of businesses are looking for easier ways to get paid and, and to pay themselves. Yes. Now, why is this merger uh, happening, uh, the, the FPOS merger? Well, FPOS is perceived to be a business in decline. Along mm. comes uh, uh, MasterCard and Visa and creates uh, easier tap and go systems, which obviously has taken our market by storm and it's been, it's been growing in, in, um, in, in other markets. And the perception is that Tyro has built its business around uh, being, facilitating easier ways to do FPOS. Well, if there's one thing about Tyro that uh, impresses me, it's the ability to uh, to to uh, to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. So, for instance, if you go back to 2017, you could make a payment using Siri in 2017, <laughs> thanks to the, the, the good people at, at Tyro Payment. Yeah. So they tend to be a little bit ahead of the curve. I, I think you'll see them lightening their reliance on on FPost and moving to other platforms. The key is, is you know, to, to, the, to the merchant pay for what they what they want. The growth yeah. has been so strong here because there's so many companies transitioning over to get away to, to, to get paid. But uh, I'm predicting we can get future this one. Yeah, no, very true too. So Gary, look, Tyro, you know, I mean, notwithstanding, it, it held up quite well through the mm. whole COVID thing when no one was going into shops and using their point of sale terminals mm. and the like. And now they're recovering, but its price is disconnected from that regard. So I know this is a bit of a hobby horse of yours when the price is, you know, disconnected mm. from what the news from mm. the company might be. What guidance are you able to provide young Peter with regards to Tyro as a position at the moment? Well, the stock market's a big voting machine, mm. yeah, without ballot boxes arriving in the middle of the night and all that sort of thing. It's all in the six oh. hours of trading, right? And, oh, and, <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's known. So there's no, you can't call it, you can't bring out some unside yes. variable and say the market's wrong. The market yep. is always in the price, right? So yep. right now, I see it's moved down to $3.21 today, which is right at the bottom of the range. The top of the range is four dollars fifty. Yep. Um, it's got, it's got a breakout. For me to get interested in this stock, it has to get out to four sixty and above and start trending. It's it's not doesn't look like it's doing that. If it falls to three dollars and stays down at those sorts of levels for a week or two, it could fall a lot longer. Mm. Um, so the the voting machine is voting against this, yep. despite the variable that was uh, that was raised by by the viewer. Um, you know, we've got to be careful we don't put too much energy and focus on a single variable or two that we want to use to justify what we want the stock to do, right? <laughs> Very true. We've got, we've got to listen to the price. We've got to listen yeah. to the market. It talks to us in price action. That is how we listen to it, despite your biases for or against. So what levels would you be looking at from here on in for young Peter? Let's assume perhaps he may have dodged his bullet. Okay, well, well, the, the first the first thing it's got to do, if it falls below three below 320 and stays in, down to $3 in that kind of bracket and stays down there for a week or two, that's a very negative sign. Mm. The, the sign is going to go lower, right? Yep. The first sign you're looking for to stay, get positive signs of this, is got to, it's got to take out the previous high, which was $3.85. Yeah. Um, and then stay and then start trending up from there. It's got then got to take out the $4, $4.10 level, then head up to $4.50 and break above that. Now, that's not going to happen in a few days. Mm. It's going to take probably uh, two, three months for that to eventuate. Mm. But this is where I think we're going to be somebody's asked about, you know, when do you sell? Yeah. He he right now must be very vigilant about when to sell. Yeah. And and right. and, the, and understand that the market's telling you that your original premise for buying the stock, if it starts falling was wrong mm. and don't hold on to try and make it right again i.e the price going up and getting out in a profit yeah. you've got to let go of that premise and look for a new set of premises on which to which to buy which has got to be logic yeah we'll touch on that topic more often and yeah thanks for the reminder as well i was happy that youtube uh, was down overnight uh look but uh, Stuart, uh, well talking about youtube you've got a great little uh, uh streaming uh, channel you've got going on particularly in regards to uh, your friday with your friday drinks and i actively encourage people to follow um, Stuart and the team at Stocks Down Under to, to get a uh, watch. It's always a good laugh. 
But I do want to talk about um, one of the things you posted on your social networks. Um, and the question comes from Frank, actually, and it's a question directed specifically to you, saying that he read a recent post on Twitter that said that, uh, that you pointed out some good beer stocks uh, to consider. Uh, no, not necessarily from the taste perspective, more from the operational and investment opportunity <laughs> side of things. However, he noted with interest that you left out brew, code BEE, um, and wanted to know whether there was any specific reason why you left that one off the list. They were trying, of course, to uh, do that roll-up strategy with a lot of breweries and the like, and it's sort of uh, really dissipated since then. Is that the, the meat of why uh, you're steering clear of B, or is there another possible reason? Yeah, so um, uh, we, we call our little uh, video uh, Friday Beers with Market Stewart. Uh, so if you Google it up uh, every second Friday or so, it's, it's Mark and I talking about the market and we, we drink some beer at the end. Now, I'm a craft beer aficionado. So uh, when I'm at uh, Dan Murphy's uh, or my local uh, bottler, I'm in the craft beer section looking for stuff I haven't, haven't drunk before. Yeah. So for instance, I've got some, uh, I've got some samples here. Uh, this is um, <laughs> from the Stork Brewing Company. This is, um, this is a Hawaiian Haze from uh, the uh, Ballistic Beer Company up in Brisbane. Um, now, both of those, uh, those beers sit within the stable of a company called Mighty Craft, yes. which went public about a year ago as, uh, as, as founders first. So in our little article, we mentioned that. We mentioned Good Drinks Australia, the people who own um, the old Gage Roads Brewing uh, House over in, uh, over in Perth. Yeah. And the one we left off is Brew. Now, what do you got to be successful in craft beer in Australia? Uh, craft beer in, in, the, in the general marketplace grows about 10 to 15 percent a year at the craft end. So the really good stuff where you pay five or six dollars a can, um, uh, that's growing strongly. The stuff that's not growing is the stuff that our fathers used to drink. Uh, that, in fact, is a decline. It's, growing, it's declining about that point four. Why did I leave brew off? Uh, I stand to be corrected. So Kent Brogan, if you're watching this, uh, get in touch with me. I think um, his beers are on the wrong side of history. Uh, the old-fashioned lagers that our fathers used to drink are not as, uh, as favoured as they used to. Mm. Um, uh, I, I just don't think the beer uh, is, is going to cut it. Now, he owns uh, a, a brew pub in Mildura. Um, now, obviously, that was locked down for a while through, through COVID, but, you, you know, yeah. Victorians can actually go and sample that. that, that enjoy ourselves now. now, yes, thank you. Yes. Um, thank you, Chairman Dan, for your generosity in allowing people to go out and enjoy themselves. It's very kind of Chairman Dan to have done that, don't you think? Oh, yeah, um, and his absolute anyway. benevolence uh, coming out of our glorious shutdown. Yes, it's been wonderful, but uh, please do go on, Stuart. <laughs> Yeah, so, so the wash-up of it is um, uh, next time I'm, not, I'm in Mildura and I'm in uh, the, the brew pub that, uh, that Brew owns and, and I'm, uh, I'm hearing good things about the beer from the punters, I'd go and look at this again. But they only sell about $2 million in stuff and they lost $3.5 million in the last little while. They had to recapitalise themselves in a, in, a, in a placement recently and the stock's pretty much jammed into the one or two cent share range compared to 20 cents per share. So I'm not sure if this one's going to survive quite frankly, it just hasn't attracted enough taste. You compare that to Gage Roads, where people are drinking it all around the country, or some of those beers I just showed you, which, which now have some fans uh, elsewhere in the country. They've got that traction. So yeah. I stand to be corrected. Ben Brogan sent me a, 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 a case of, of his, um, of his uh, draft beer, <laughs> and I love my mind. So Kent, uh, get in touch. Yeah, not easily bought, eh, Stuart? Uh, good. I, I love doing buy-side research. It was always a great part of it. But look, uh, you're right. I, I mean, look, Gary, um, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, I made a slaughter, like absolutely murdered in regards to, um, uh, geez, uh, oh God, I've just gone um, uh, little yeah, creatures uh, and the like in regards to WA there. And there was this huge um, uh, sale there and it was wonderful. But, you know, again, one of these uh, sort of things, you've got COVID, 
and obviously people go down. You then have distribution through Dan Murphy's and notwithstanding that it's distribution, you're paying a fair penny in regards to your margins to get it out there. So, you know, what are you looking for when you get these, you know, new ideas, as it were? You know, the, the, you know it sounds good. I see yeah. people consuming it. But is this, again, a case of you just got to look at the price and let that tell you? I mean, surely well, you could take a pit. Well, pit effectively, what, what people buy is they're, because you're not buying to fundamentals yet. So you're buying into the future. So this mm. is, the stock market's either going to be reacting to something that's short term that's happening now, a variable that's recent, and it's going to have some short term effect. Yeah. Or they're buying the story of a company into the future and its potential, right? Mm. You need that story needs to be proven. The way it's proven uh, that the, bark, the market's buying it and that the story is, 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 is actually resonating is through the price action. Now, this is a $16 million cap market cap company. It's turning over, on average, about $27,000 a day. Mm. So to buy into the story... You know, how much, it depends how much capital you've got. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're managing a, you know, half a million dollars in the market, you wouldn't bother this. You know, for yeah. somebody to get, and, and the, the rule of thumb is one-tenth of the average turnover. Yeah. So you're talking about putting $2,700 into this. Mm. And you go, where else can I put my $2,700 that has better potential? There are lots of little small cap companies around like this that are giving you far better potential to make money from it at the time. It's just too illiquid, big, big risk factor with the liquidity is it could take somebody with a large parcel who you don't know, just one variable to undo the whole story, right? Yeah. And where there's one variable potential, potentially to change the whole story, I just don't take that risk. And that, that's the problem here. So it's just not getting, the story's not resonating. No, and Little World Beverages was the company I was uh, clutching at straws there. It has been a while. I should always remember my 10 bags, but nonetheless, um, I did forget there. Uh, look, Stuart, make sure you get yourself a glass of water now because I just need to remind everyone that... Uh, if you've got a question, uh, there's only now, well, uh, only, what's that, 90 minutes to go till the end of the year. So question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480-079-089. And remember, go to the website to watch all past episodes, and they're available on podcasts as well, although the Google outage last night stuffed up yesterday's recording. So I hope to have that up later on today. Now, we continue with our exploration of the 16 traits of successful investing that our great supporters at ShareWealth Systems and Gary have made available to all viewers at Spotty. And today... We learn about, well, you know, a special rule when it comes to Christmas because, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to disrupt us at this time of year, Gary. You know, there's um, other things. And let's face it, look, life's worth living, so you can't be too serious in regards to investing going crazy. But when things settle down and markets are behaving normally and you're in normal case, one of the things, we tend to lose focus, don't we? We see these little things that drag us here and drag us there and we get hung up on points, etc. And we lose this ability to remain really, really focused. The, the funny thing I find is that actually being focused is actually makes your investing easier, not harder. <laughs> Absolutely. But yet some people see it as a challenge. Why is it something you've got to master to be a successful long-term investor? Well, well let me preface my answer by saying that uh, there's, a, there's a story and you can look this up. Um, mm -hmm. Warren Buffett himself tells the story where the first time that uh, him and Bill, Bill Gates met, I think the, the meeting was put together by... Uh, by, by um, Bill Gates's father. Mm. And they were asked separately what the top things, the top traits, the top, who they are, that part of their, their nature, if you like, that helped them to be as successful as they were. Mm. And both of them separately, without knowing what the other's answer was, said their number one trait was focus. Mm. And you can verify that by, by watching Warren Buffett tell the story. So, so when it comes to investing, you know, there are so many variables, there's so much noise, there's so many people with an opinion. There's so much conjecture out there. There's so many stories behind stocks and stories about the market. It's overbought, it's oversold or whatever, is that we can get distracted by the noise. So, yeah. so to, to, to overcome that distraction 
and not to knee-jerk react to you know, mates talking in the pub or family you know, family discussing their win mm. or whatever at, over Christmas lunch or whatever it might be, is we need to get focused. So we yeah. need to stand for something or we'll fall for anything. Mm. And when it comes to the stock market, it's all about initially having an open mind to research a process, whether it's fundamental or technical or yep. both or whatever it might be. Uh, I'd, 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 I'd counsel people to say it's not based on hearing something from a broker or from a <laughs> you know, just knee-jerk reacting to individual non-tested environments, yeah. but to, to get, and then to get focused and then to have a process that's focused on you know, just the, the steps involved in your buy and sell decision. Mm. And when you do that, you stand for something, you don't fall for anything, you don't knee-jerk react, and that focus is what brings, it's a number one trait, it brings you the, the, the success in terms of when to get in and when to get out, and you don't suffer from fear of missing out, you don't oh, suffer yeah. from fear of losing, you don't suffer from fear of being wrong, you don't suffer from fear of leaving money on the table, why? Because they're all uh, accounted for in your process, and you know they're all gonna happen to some degree, but at the end of the day, what counts is your equity curve, you're going up by 15 to 20% per annum. And that's the uh, idea, folks, that's money management, that's portfolio management. So go to 16traits.com, that's 16traits.com to learn why uh, being focused is essential when it comes to successful portfolio management. All right then, uh, gentlemen, we'll go back to the market right now and let's have a look at uh, how things are going. Uh, currently, as we uh, see there, the market's down. Oh, we've got regained a little bit of room there, so I'm glad to see that our general candor has lifted the sentiment. Stuart, you've been patiently waiting there. I do want to touch on you here with regards to Adrian. Adrian has asked, and again, I know these are topics you've uh, covered quite recently, again, um, on your uh, little podcast you put out on social. So Adrian, uh, with an A, uh, specifically asks, that's Adrian, I-A-N at the end. That's because it's another word. Anyway. <laughs> Right. What is, shine the light please on some of your best lithium and copper miners in Australia that are expected to benefit from the growth of battery storage and electronic hybrid cars. So uh, I need you to wrap that up in about two minutes if you don't mind, Stuart. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, two, two companies that are playing this EV space, that are playing the whole battery space. Um, are there any that you've covered recently that you'd like to bring to the attention of uh, spotty viewers and that can get sooner if they subscribe to your uh, content? Certainly. So um, I'll mention just one that we did some work on a while ago. It was called Piedmont Lithium. PLL is the code. Um, their big thing was uh, the electric battery makers are going to want uh, lithium that they can account for its origins and know that it's been made uh, ethically. So uh, Piedmont had a, a pro project in North Carolina, which they're now uh, generating into a, a supplier of, of battery minerals to, to the likes of, of Tesla and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and, and because the supply chain is so short, uh, they'll be in a position to uh, get it to them quickly and get it to them uh, in a way that they can, that the, the customers can provenance it. Uh, that company is moving ahead uh, in leaps and bounds. I was actually able to talk about a relationship with Tesla a while ago. I think there's more where that came from. Mm. Um, am I out of minutes yet? No, uh, not quite, because you got copper, and I know you were over this in a past life. So. Uh, Dr. Copper, obviously, barometer of the economy has had a pretty <laughs> strong tear at the moment, which means everyone's interested, which also probably means it's already too late. But uh, any in that space that uh, you're watching keenly? Look, we talked about Staveley Minerals last yeah, time Stavely, I was on. Yep. Uh, Staveley is only about 150 kilometres from Melbourne. Um, now, I know I said some disparaging things about Victoria, but the thing about developing new mines in Victoria is um, uh, there's a pretty good mines department that can help you with that sort of yeah. stuff, and they're, and they're pro-mining in that, in that department. Very true. Judging by everything I've seen stable, this is a future copper mine here. At the right price, and uh, Gary will have something to say about the volatility of this one, uh, this, this, this one could be great buying. 
Um, the world's going to not necessarily ray out of copper, but it's going to be looking for new sources of copper uh, sooner rather than later mm. in a way we haven't seen in a long time because those electric vehicles are going to chew up a heck of a lot more copper than, uh, than, than, uh, than was previously used just in the telecommunications industry. No, very true. And look, and look, Stavely, of course, once they hit that mother low, the price had a big spike up, as you'd expect, um, and now it's sort of finding its uh, feet after a bit of a pullback. And uh, yeah, just uh, probably the normal cycle in regards to miner. But yeah, you, either PWL or, or Stavely, or are there any other lithium stocks or copper stocks, Gary, that have uh, come up on the radar at um, ShareWealth Systems? Well, I currently hold Stavely in a personal portfolio, not, yep. not in one of our publicly run ones. Um, just quickly, what just to help viewers here, yeah, it's an open question. Mm. Is, is I, I've got uh, I group regroup my market if you break it down into into um, watch lists if you like, and I've got forty lithium stocks on my watch list over here. Now yep. they're not all lithium only; they're lithium and something else, but yep. they all have lithium, right? And I can very quickly what I've done here is just step down through these and I update them once every six months or maybe even once a year. Mm -hmm. And certainly Piedmont is, is on that list, and it's uh, it's having a big retracement at the moment. Uh, one that's that really stuck out is, uh, is LRT Lithium Australia had a mm -hmm. huge day yesterday. Yeah, broke yeah. out above all uh, above all um, uh, resistance levels, if you like. Another one is Minerals um, Minerals uh, Mineral Resources Australia. Yeah, it's been going yeah. great, but it's obviously not only lithium. No. Um, and uh, the grey mining has a bit, but it's it's pulling back. Uh, Pilbara Mineral Minerals. Oh yeah, okay. although that'll come uh, down when the capital raise PLS, is done. PLS, right? And it's broken through yeah. all resistance levels, and just through another one just in the last week or two, and it's it's trending massively up from 15 cents to 87 and a half cents yeah. uh, since uh, since the COVID yeah. um, trough. So I, I will just add though, with that one there, just because I own it, its yeah. price is going to fall because they've just done a capital raising at 39 cents to buy the Altura assets. And the reason why they went at 39 cents was because that was actually the price before the speculation started that they were going to buy Altura, which went broke. So probably will fall around 70s. I think that'll be a fair price for those of you that are holding it. But yes, I'll be watching it keenly. And, and it was suspended <laughs> yesterday. I don't know if it's still suspended. Yeah, yeah it will okay. be. Yes, it won't open but, to Wednesday. But, but very easy to find these. And if you yeah. got an eye with price, literally I could step through these 40 and like I've just done now, mm. and, and in five minutes, pick the one or two or three that, that are standing out and then go yeah. and do a little bit more analysis from there. Yeah. All right, now, Stuart, another open-ended question for you, because, of course, when I ask Gary, it's easy. He's going to just tell me when it's above the line, you're in. When it's below the line, you're out. It's as simple as that. But there is a misconception in the marketplace that fundamental analysts don't know when to sell a stock. Uh, there's nothing that's more uh, incorrect than that. So the question, uh, if I can go back to my little list here, came from William, who said, uh, who asked, sorry, uh, on the text machine, 0480 when do I know it's time to get out of stocks that I hold? I am getting a little worried at the moment. So of course, Australian investors had this predisposition that as they make money, they actually worry more. Because of course, as share prices go up, <laughs> inevitably it means it's gonna to have to go down, right? I think it's got something to do with our pessimistic English heritage. Nonetheless, that aside, you know, when you are educating investors, you've got your thesis, you've put it up there, the, the story's sound, the, um, everything, the trajectory's right, but then sometimes it does go wrong. How do you, as a fundamental analyst at heart, make the call to say, right, the good times are over, it's time to switch off the lights? Well, there's two things I say. That's why you need someone like Gary in your corner, because he'll tell you that. And, uh, and, and, uh, and then you can rely on his, his uh, iron uh, sharp discipline where uh, the dreamers like me would want to hold on. So that's the first thing to say, is get some technical analysis tools in your, in your back pocket. The second thing I like to do in terms of deciding when to sell 
is uh, my own personal tip is listen to what other people are saying. Uh, and if I'm hearing a lot of people around me telling me how much they like a particular story and the number of those number of people are increasing, but that's when I start to get worried. So my own personal tip is when I go to church, and the pun of the church are telling me of all the stocks they've bought. That's what I want to sell. Yeah. Us Christians tend to be uh, uh, fairly, um, well, we're an otherworldly bunch, so we catch on to trends later than everyone else. So when the, yeah. when the Christians are buying it, it's selling. Right. Uh, but it's not just uh, that particular social group. It's what parties you're going to where people are boasting about the money they make on stocks that you can go opposite. Alternatively, what stock they hate, which you can go, go counter to. That's always a great, uh, a great mechanism. The third thing I'd say, and this, this, I get this from my colleague, Mark Kennis, decide in advance when you buy the stock, what would be a good selling price? Yeah. So he's been pushing up when, when Afterpay were 20 or $30. Well, we did some analysis here about what a good price for uh, Afterpay would be. We came up with about 120, which is not far where, it is, where it's off now. So if you buy that in advance, once you've made several orders of magnitude of your money, uh, then, you, then you know, you've, you've, um, you've achieved what you set out to achieve. You can let the stock go at that point. So, yeah, do your homework on the sell drive before you even buy. Yeah, no, look, I mean, and obviously I think one of the important things to note, uh, as uh, Stuart alluded to then, and as, you know, a system like yours has, is you know when you'll get out before you actually buy the thing in the first place, right? You know that right. there's that barrier. That breaks, you know, people have said, oh, no, the market's run too hot, I'm scared of getting in now. The market's run too hot, I'm worried that it'll go down. Well, if you've got your exit signal, that's, that's saved, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, two things uh, to preface what I'm going to say. You know, the first one is that business has been going 25 years now. We've surveyed our clients many times over the years. We interview them and we do testimonials with our clients and they talk about the investing. Mm -hmm. The number one thing that they want to know above everything else is when to know when to sell. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing. Yeah. The second thing I want to say, Mark Douglas, those of you, maybe I know there are a lot of, people, a lot of young people watch this. If you want to be successful at this caper of investing in the market actively, you've got to read a book called Trading in the Zone written by Mark Douglas, the eminent psychology coach, trade, you know, coached the Merrill Lynch's of the world and the Goldman Sachs and all that sort of thing. He wrote a book called Trading in the Zone. Don't read it, study it, right? <laughs> and one of the, the golden rules he has, and you can look him up and you can watch videos of him on the internet, is that he says the number one reason that people fail at this game is because they do not predefine their risk before they get into the trade. So you've got to define the conditions under which you're going to sell before you put any money into the, into the trader. So what we do is we do all the work up front and we know what the exit signals are going to be before we even open up a portfolio, mm. before we know what trade we're going to get into. And then when the trade comes up, we definitively know the exact price that we will get out while that trade is open. And we've got trades in the United States now that are up 130, 120% in Australia, 50, 40%. We let the trends go because you're not trying to guess when to get out. We're not allowing conjecture and outside influence and, and broker reports and shows like this or, you know, yeah. or reading the newspaper when the, the brokers say sell these and buy these. We don't look at any of that. That's all noise. We just focus on the fact of when we know exactly when we're going to sell before we take the position. It liberates this whole game. It, it just makes it so much easier. Mm. It takes all the hours out of worry. And what it does is you, know, you can confine this focus process down to 15 minutes a week once yeah. you've got the process. No, very true. It's just, it becomes fun, right? Yeah, but just remember, as a sponsor of this show, you're part of the problem, Gary. Now, look, <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned the overseas. We're talking about, I think, one of the trades I saw recently through your program was, uh, was FedEx. So why don't you talk us through what sort of happened in that scenario mm -hmm. and why, you know, you can take that confidence, given it's in another jurisdiction yeah. doing what it's doing over there. You know, they don't deliver here to Australia. If they do, it'll take forever. Yeah. 
So, you know, how do you make a call in regards to an investment like that being so objective and cold-hearted to, well, to do it? To use as an example, effectively, sure, it's a US stock, but it happens here as well. You know, we've got open trades. You know, the last trade I did in Fortescue before this one, which I'm in now at the moment, was a 90% profit trade, right? Mm. It went sideways for three months while the trade was open, and then mm. it went up 90%, including the dividends, right? FedEx was one, and the reason I want to use it as a learning uh, example, is that uh, it, it, it went up very nicely, then it came down over a period of about 18 months and it fell by about 60%. Along the way down, we had eight little loss trades. Now we mm. didn't do all eight, we did I think five of them in our, in our Real Money Live portfolio. Yeah. But each one of those were little loss trades. And you know, people shouldn't see a loss trade as a loss, they should see it as a victory against a big losing trade. That's the mm. way they should view it. And then it gave another entry signal and uh, after these eight consecutive loss trades you know, on the chart, according to our mechanical system, and it's, it's up 125% at the moment, even though even after it's retraced a bit, it was up 130 something. But it's still an open trade. So when do we sell? When it crosses the trailing stop. Mm. And not only do we know when to sell now, the whole way up, and I think the trade opened in May, mm. so here we've been going for, what, six months. Yeah. And we will hold on to that, knowing when to sell, not only to stop the loss, or it's also to lock in the profit, but to let the profit go as well. Yeah. And that's and that's 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 the, the ease of how you can do it when you do your research and, up front and get focused. And it certainly helps when markets trend like they have been recently. But Stuart, a question comes from Greg, and Greg uh, also thank you for all your questions this year. Just wants to touch on the cyclical thematic that everyone's been yabbering on about. How apparently IT no one wants that anymore, even though that was the best performing. Uh, sector for the past month. Actually, the minute everyone said that IT is uh, going to be the worst performer, it ended up being the best, but there you go. Um, but look, in regards to the cyclicals, I know they're not normally a sector you would look at, um, you know, because let's face it, no one's really interested in them, but are there any in that sort of space, those turnaround big clunky stories that you are favourable on, or do you prefer to, just for Greg, because, you know, he is such a good mate, um, you know, or do you prefer to just focus on your smaller, more dynamic growth type businesses, the ones that were shooting the lights out once upon a time, according to media reports? Yes. Uh, uh, the, the, the best cyclical play that I can think of right now is Rio Tinto. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, is, is Rio have had a bad um, uh, run with, uh, in terms of, of its, its press coverage. You had mm. uh, the issue with their close uh, ranger that blew up uh, Duke and George a while ago, so they're way out of favour. Um, and so they're, they're a big, clumpy, clumpy, hard to turn around uh, uh, mining company. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them get their act together at some point and then, uh, and then turn that story around. Mm. Uh, the other one I, um, I think about looking at um, is some of the, um, the building companies. Uh, yeah. Obviously, building is a building kind of, uh, kind of sector, and we're moving into another, another building space in that one. So the, the companies that are, uh, are, are doing reasonably well. In the, in the building space, an environment where properties started to turn, could look very interesting as well. Yeah, would you be brave enough to consider a borrow? Loaded question. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, 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 uh, it, it's fair to say that that company is well enough managed uh, mm. to, to, uh, uh, to, you know, to, to write out any number of boom and bust cycles. And yeah, it's probably looking quite, quite, quite good buying at the moment. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the phrase boring is borrow comes to mind. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I prefer to use I prefer to use boring as brambles to be honest with you. But yes, uh, the the borrow uh, narrative does work, and uh, yeah, don't worry, I wouldn't even touch it with Gary's money. But possibly value there, Gary. Just quickly, oh, we're going to come to you for see the light in a moment too, Stuart. Those two stocks, so we'll be with you in a moment. But yep. Gary, any of those big lumpy, previously unloved, now 
you know, back according to media reports, stocks that you would uh, consider at this point? How about Whitehaven? Oh, geez, heaven's sakes, right? Ooh, yes. Okay, you realise this is a younger demographic station, right? You know, no one, no one that watches this program has grey hair. Everyone is just in the younger age. They're saying, "Cold, yes, what's cold? Cold, cold, cold. <laughs> what's cold? Right? Oh, geez, here we go. We're going to start with that so, YouTube channel. So it's channel not ESG, again. obviously. Um, no, it's, it's not, not ESG. Not thing, no. But you know, we we had to to look for trends and. Yep. You know, it's probably had its, its biggest slush ball you could possibly throw it at, throw into it overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, with the with China saying it's not going to buy any of Australian, Australian coal. coal. Yeah. And last I looked, I haven't seen for the last hour or so, but it was down about seven percent. Yes. And uh, just looking at the at the way the the. The, the trend is developing over here. I was looking, the retracement is probably going to come down to about a dollar forty-two, forty-three thereabouts, or four, maybe even as low as a dollar forty. Um, it may have touched that today, but uh, this this trend this trend is already up. I do own the stock in, in a okay. private portfolio. It's uh, it's up, I think, thirty percent already prior to today, and it's it's trends very strongly in both directions. It's followed coal all the way down. Coal's up about yep. seventy, eighty percent, I think, from its trough in, in yes. terms of price. I don't know what last night's going to do, but typically when when a, when trends start forming in the coppers and the lithiums and the uraniums, another one that, which has yeah, also had a that's breakout, been flying, yep. um, you know, and coal, is these trends persist, mm-hmm. and they all get slush balls thrown at them along the way from left field, and this is probably the biggest one that coal's had thrown it, and Whitehaven will be have thrown it as well. So it's going to yeah. be really interesting to see how this really big variable. How this trend's going to handle this variable. But again, with that level, you know when you'll be getting out. So that's Correct. why you're not I'm, stressed. Okay, that's I'm why you're still smiling here. because the stock's down 5.5% at the moment. Uh, it did touch a dollar forty-five actually in early trade. So and it's, it's now what at a dollar. Yeah, dollar fifty-two and a half now. Yeah. So it did, has rebounded off that. All right then, folks. Well, it's time for your favourite see the light segment, which is uh, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Macro Capital. Macro Capital gives you everything you need to discover, analyse and execute on investment opportunities. This is why they're one of Australia's leading research houses and share advisors, helping everyday investors shine a light on financial markets to help you navigate them with confidence. So head to that website, macro.com.au. Now, macro is M-A-Q-R-O com.au to learn more. All right then, Stuart, time for you to step up to the plate. So two stocks, please, that you'd like us to see the light on that we're going to listen attentively to, do our own research, and then see whether it aligns to our own personal investment objectives and tolerance to risk. Okay, so um, the first one I'd like to draw your attention to is uh, Le Cap Diamond, L-O-N. Uh, yep. We're moving into another bull market for diamonds. Um, uh, there's been no decent new diamond mines in the last 10 years, uh, but demand tends to grow at a fairly stable level. Just ask your wives and girlfriends and significant others uh, if they'd like some diamond jewellery, and that'll give you a good idea where, the, where the, um, the demand is coming from. Well, the supply has been choked off. So we're seeing a turning in diamond prices at the moment, and the cap is well placed because they've got a couple of diamond mines, uh, one in uh, the Sutu that are part of expand, Another one in Angola that's been recently well, and they're going after the Kimberlite for the diamond mine in Angola. Yeah, that's, that's the right. first one. Yeah. Um, the second one I draw your attention to is Atrium Coal. Um, when uh, uh, we started talking about coal, I got excited. I'm the biggest bull on coal. Um, right. Please don't hit my office if you're one of those greedy <laughs> types. You're going to need a bit of coal for a while before all the, re- all the renewable stuff uh, kicks in. So yeah. Atrium um, is developing a, a metallurgical coal play in southern Alberta. Uh, and uh, Alberta is a great place to do this because you can get the coal to Asia faster than you can get it from uh, from Australia. So uh, the economics are lining up there. Uh, the great Gina Reinhardt's got a large uh, metallurgical coal property right next door to this one. So I'm seeing good things happening for that one. 
Yeah, understood. No, that's all right. We accept all faiths in our church. Uh, no discrimination uh, there at all. Just make sure you uh, leave something in the uh, coin uh, coin bowl when you leave. Uh, but uh, no, Gary, up to you now. Uh, two stocks to help us see the light on that we're going to do our own research into and see whether they align with our own personal objectives and tolerance to risk. Then the Paladin? I certainly do. PDN? Well, had a great breakout yep. against a very, very strong resistance around about 20, 21 cents. Mm -hmm. uh, clear breakout yesterday. I've been range trading between sort of 10 and 20 cents. Um, did fall below that during the COVID crash, but it's, uh, it had a clear breakout yesterday. A little bit of retracement today. You'd expect it to do that, but you, that's on the back of uranium and what it's doing. Um, and there are a couple other uranium stocks that are really flying as well. Yep. So we go, we go from these sectors. LOT, BOE too, or, that we've talked about quite they, a bit. They're yeah. going great. So Paladin is the one, and it's, it's, it's one of the biggest, um, most liquid stocks in the space as well. It is, yes. Right. The other one is Seek. Oh, Okay, seek a so battle. So you didn't buy into the short report? Well, the market didn't either. I think we're not. Well, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's so, I love it when really big bad news gets thrown at a stock. <laughs> and, it, and it has a look around, shakes itself off, and then makes a brand yeah, new it's heart. It's pretty impressive. It's, it? it's, yeah. it's impressive. It's, you know, the bad news is factored in. It's been struggling to get about $23, $24 since the middle of 2018, two and a half years. You know, it's obviously been a fantastic growth stock before that. And uh, you know we're seeing some other great breakouts like Wes Farmers and that as well. Also through going through key resistance points, and this is a really good breakout which happened only um, in the middle of November. So it's a mm. month in it. Expect some retracements. Uh, it, this is one stock we follow with our spa to invest in our long term system. I'm not in Seek at the moment, but a lot of our members would be. Mm -hmm. So that's my that's my longer term big larger cap one. Yeah. So L O M A T U Paladin uh, with Erlinger Heinrich and of course Seek S E K are the stocks to see the light on. And this segment, of course, was brought to you by Macro Capital, your complete solution for stock market research, advice, and trade execution. Go to that website Macro. Dot com dot au. Well, gentlemen, it is our last appearance for the year. Now, I don't uh, like asking people for targets and all that sort of stuff because, you know, really it's just the index, it's the banks, who cares? So let's, um, wh what I'd love for each of you, and I'll start with you, Stuart, is one bit of advice or a lesson or a, some guiding light in regards to what investors should keep in their investing kit bag for 2021 and uh, what should they really keep uh, almost at the ready, should they need it, um, come what may, in what, you know, surely can't be as crazy a year as what this one's been. Yeah, the number one advice I would give people moving into the new year is um, markets tend to go down in the years after presidential elections. Hmm. So uh, the new candidate comes in, he's got some uh, reforms or, or other uh, uh, things that he wants to get done. And often that means you get a cooling off period uh, for the economy and for the market in the year after the president, uh, the new president comes in. Now, uh, you've probably noticed I'm about as extreme as, uh, as Genghis Khan to the right. Uh, but I'm a little concerned about what the Biden administration will present for markets in the new year. So the, the thing you need in your toolkit is a certain amount of caution, just in case mm -hmm. the good times we've been run, we've run out for the next little while. Yeah. No, very true. And uh, thanks for the Genghis Khan reference. I'll know not to come to a barbecue at your house. Gary, um, in regards to, and by that I mean I don't know what the meat might be made out of rather than anything. Mongolian lamb. All right, excellent. Attaboy. Uh, Gary, what bit of advice? I mean, you've given us so much great advice mm. over the entire mm. year, so thank you. But one one bit of uh, insight that we should put in our investor kit bag for 2021. Yeah, certainly, uh, the, the positions that you hold, go and predefine the conditions for those particular stocks 
that need to be in place for you to get out, whether they continue going up and then fall or whether they fall from where they're currently But shouldn't are. we already have that in place? They should have, but I know, no, <laughs> I know, I know the fact that 99% you know, of the people watching the show will not. Yeah, will not. And, and what happens is that means that they allow all the variables that can influence them to buy into the reason they first bought to hold sway and that mm. becomes their bias. Yeah. yeah, and the fact is we've got a, the other one is that interest rates are going, this is a secular bull market we're in. Sure, we're going to have retracements of you know, 15, 20, 25, yeah, maybe even 30%. Normal, yep. But you know, this, we're in a multi-year, maybe even a multi-decade bull market, which has only been going for seven years. So we could have mm. a lot many years to go of this year. Yeah, no, very true. So on that note, and that exciting note, another bull run, you beauty. Uh, folks, that's all we have time for. So look, on behalf of all of us, uh, to you, Stuart Roberts from Stocks Down Under, I just want to congratulate you and the team at Pitt Street Research for what you've created, making, bringing research to the people in regards to Stocks Down Under. And we all here at uh, Ticker and Spotty sincerely wish you all the best in 2021. Thank you very much for your support. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. And uh, can't wait to see you again next year. And thank you once again to a true believer, to my great mate, Gary Stone from ShareWorld Systems. Thank you for your investment in your time, your uh, energy, your knowledge, the whole lot into our program. We've been much the richer for it. Thank it's you very much. Pleasure, yeah. And folks, remember uh, stocksdownunder.com and also sharewealthsystems.com. And remember 16trades.com to get that get your hands on that ebook because seriously, you're going to have a bit of extra time over summer. It'll be well worth the read. Now, tomorrow will be the last episode of the year. So strap yourself in, folks, because it's going to be Tony Lacantro from Alto Capital, our resident Dustville Petri dish, and Brennan Gardner from Trade Setup will be joining us for the show as well. If you've got those questions, send them in early. Question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480-079-089. Uh, thanks again to our partners in Light Sharewell Systems, that website 16trades.com. Remember that. Do download it, please. Authored by Gary Stone himself. Thanks again, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Thanks, Mike, for pushing all the right buttons. Stay tuned for the Ben Robin Rollo Show, folks. And until tomorrow, I've been, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Arrivederci, Roma. <laughs>